in a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest-running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. Another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott, as usual. Hi. Hey. And we're joined by a very special guest. It's a fellow colleague of ours. <laughs> we're all in the same profession. She's also a Columbus-based uh, podcaster, uh, and coincidentally, happens to have a podcast about movies as well. Yeah. Uh, her podcast is called "The Oscars Are My Super Bowl," and we're very happy to have. Amanda Iman on today. Thanks for Welcome. having me. Oh, yes. our pleasure. Yes. <laughs> and we brought her on for uh, a very special episode because it's a uh, Disney month here at Cinema Wheeler Day, and we have a cat. Sabrina says <laughs> hello to everybody again. <laughs> Sabrina's she, here. Her favorite Disney movie is Mary Poppins. Yeah, it is. Um, or actually, it's probably the Aristocats. <laughs> oh, that would make sense. That's only appropriate. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the the movie we're talking about today, though, is uh, it's my personal favorite uh, Disney animated feature, uh, Fantasia, uh, which makes me a very boring human being. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, uh, just to start off the conversation with this, I feel like of all the animated classics that Disney's released, I think Fantasia is kind of the acquired taste of that. I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it, but... I tweeted out that I was going to watch this with with you guys, or, you know, for your podcast, and uh, some friends that are a podcast in England were like, oh yeah, that's my least favorite movie of all time. <laughs> I was like... I saw that. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I know that was Liam from Nerd on Nerd, and I was yeah. like, oh, well, I was the weirdo kid who loved that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's... I've had, like, a long trip with this movie, too, and at that end, uh, which I'll get into in a minute, but... Uh, uh, it is critically well received. I mean, I think it's made several lists over the years mm-hmm. as one of the greatest movies ever made. But when you talk to like the average person, it's like, oh, well, that's the one where they don't talk or anything, and it's just music. And it's like, well, yeah. I think people might have a hard time, especially children, grasping to it because there's no main character to latch on to. There's no really storyline. Each piece of music is its own piece of visual art. So I yeah. think from a child perspective. I could see how maybe they would be classified as boring or... And it is a long movie. I mean, two hours is a long time to keep a kid's attention when you have no talking or no interesting characters, so to speak. Yeah. I I didn't see that. Yeah. 
Well, and I mean, the only recognizable Disney thing is Mickey Mouse mm-hmm. and the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And Which is the most favorite, I think, yeah. scene from the movie. <laughs> oh, it's the most popular, about. obviously. Uh, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the ranking of all the, the cartoons, but I think it's probably the most popular. Isn't that the one, like, the only piece that was written specifically for the movie? Like, um, like instrumental piece-wise? Mm-hmm. I, I think... Um, the, the actual The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah. I didn't realize it was composed for the film. I thought it was just a classical piece that they set to that Mickey Mouse short. I know that the short was the was the centerpiece of the movie. Like they they were really just working oh, yeah. on that short exclusively for a while, and it just evolved into this bigger project. You know, but mm-hmm. that was actually they were working on that on The Sorcerer's Apprentice initially, and then it just. Walt had all these ideas and he just kept piling yeah. them on top where it became Fantasia. For some reason, I thought that was specifically like it's based on a poem, but I thought that was like that piece of music was written for this because all the rest are, you know, you've got like Mazorsky and yeah. uh, Stravinsky. And... It looks like it was uh, written in 1896 97 okay. by uh, it was a French composer, Paul, I'm going to butcher this name, Decasse. Uh, and it looks like it was based on that poem, like you mentioned, from okay. 1797. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I looked up these facts initially just so people don't think I just randomly routed them off. He's actually making them up. Every <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> it's just an alternative fact. Alternative, yeah. <laughs> you had alternative facts you brought to, yes. the, to the table, which is good. <laughs> Neither one is right or wrong. Um, but um, In fact, is not a fact. <laughs> but what you guys were mentioning is true. It's like I think a lot of people are thrown off by the. Like I know when I was a kid, when I first saw this, um, I wanted to see it because Mickey Mouse is on the cover, and you oh, you see footage of Mickey in the Sorcerer's mm-hmm. uniform yeah. constantly in all these montages that the Disney Channel would play and stuff. Well, and the, the, the scene where he's like directing the the, the, the water yeah. to like yeah. splash up around him—that's yeah. so iconic. And the yeah. brooms like marching behind mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And I always saw that, and I just thought that was just a Mickey Mouse cartoon. I didn't realize there was a full feature uh, placed on top of that. Uh-huh. So when I saw I rented Fantasia, and I couldn't wait to see it, because I thought, this is a Mickey Mouse movie as a kid. That must have been like <laughs> 9 or 10. Yeah. This might be fun. And I'm watching it, and you start seeing the musicians, and Deems Taylor comes out with this dry you know, monologue that explains everything you're about to see. And like, I was bored out of my mind when I first saw it, because mm-hmm. there were all these cartoons. None of them really had Mickey. Mickey's only in, like, what... Five to ten minutes of the film, maybe, if that. Yeah. If that. Um, and I just, it was dead to me. I, I, I could not get into it. I didn't understand yeah. why this was. It was like this is this is for, this is just boring. It's like a, like a <laughs> classical music lesson, and I was turned off. But over the years, as a as I got older, I actually started appreciating it more and more. Like, wow, how groundbreaking and innovative this was. So how old were you when you first I must have been it? probably like nine or ten. Like, I was young. Like, um, because it was a Disney movie, so mm-hmm. you obviously rented it. But that's kind of where I came mm-hmm. from with that. Yeah. You know, I think my first time seeing Fantasia, I may have been younger than that. I might have been maybe like six or seven, I learned how to utilize the TV and VCR extremely fast in life because I love <laughs> movies. Movies were always my escape. And I, I used to watch a lot of movies in private like when I was a little kid just because, it, like I said, it was kind of like my escape. And I remember we had Fantasia 
in the classic, you know, VHS, um, those old school Disney ones that the, kind of the hard plastic. Yeah, the clamshell kind yes, of thing. Yes, yes. And I remember we had Fantasia. I think my grandmother bought it for us. Um, my sister Jackie, you know, for reasons you just stated, did not like it. And um, I didn't like all of it in its entirety. I would always fast forward to the scenes that I did like. And the one that I do remember enjoying the music and the, uh, the visual art was um, the pastoral fantasy with the centaurs and then the Greek goddess and gods. And I just loved how it ended so softly. It was like a story. It started, and, um, but I remembered watching that. Uh, it wasn't my favorite movie. I didn't always go to it. But every now and again, I would put it on and I'd watch the scenes that I liked. But at a young age, I always really appreciated um, the marriage of music and visual art, like storytelling and music. I love music videos, still do. It's like my dream to, like, if I'm ever in a movie, I want to, I will bring back the montage. <laughs> um, I just love the marriage of music and movies. And uh, so, given that, I do really enjoy that about this film. I mean, that's all it is, is, is music and art. But, uh, but yeah, I remember watching it young, and it didn't, uh, wasn't my favorite, but I didn't dislike it either. Right. Yeah, it was kind of. Yeah, I was the total like like I said. That's that's the effect it had on me. And I think it was just my expectations were not met, mm -hmm. and it was something completely different from what I anticipated when I saw it. Uh, what was your experience like, Amanda, when you first? Uh... So I think I was pretty young the first time I saw this. Probably like four or five or younger, maybe. Um, but I've always loved this movie. Oh. And, I mean, I, I never had the, <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> I was enthralled. And I I should say, like, I have a minor in music. I actually, um, for a brief point in time, was a music major for about a year in college. So, like, I, I really love music. And I can remember as a kid, I would ask my grandparents, like, if I was in the back of their car to put on classical music. Aww. And then I would sit and pretend that I was the conductor conducting Aww. and like cueing all the different instruments and things so even like what I think a lot of kids would have thought were the more boring parts where it's like yeah. here's the um the like the line of sound I love that part and mm -hmm. you know and the the bassoon and all of that but even like the opening piece where it's just the conductor with his like hands up and you see the shadows of all of the different instruments. I loved all of it. The only part that I can remember as a kid not liking... Well, the, I always found, I guess, in the boring realm was the dinosaur Me one. too. My brother liked that one. He likes that one. And I was always like, eh, whatever. Because, I don't know, like, it just didn't get me. And then the bald mountain terrified me. Oh, yeah. I was terrified by that. But I still always, because my dad, we would go back and forth. One day it would be like my turn to pick the movie, and then the next time it would be my brother's turn to pick the movie. And this is one I would pick a lot. And what was your first take on it, Scott? Was it a... Well, the first thing I remember about, you know, um, is the Bald Mountain sequence. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I don't know where I saw it, but I remember I liked that part. I think I saw... <laughs> I, the other stuff I didn't... Sorcerer's Apprentice, I kind of knew because it's just so... I mean, it's just everywhere. Mm -hmm. But the, the Bald Mountain, I remember, I was like, I really liked it. I liked the music. I like how dark it is. It was different than Disney. 
Uh, so when I always look back on someone mentioned Fantasia, it's like, yeah, I like it because I like that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not, I knew because you would watch things, if you watch the Disney Channel, they would refer to, they would show clips of moments from the pieces, like the hippos dancing or something, yeah. some of the more memorable moments. And I knew there was a dinosaur segment, but I didn't, I hadn't actually watched the whole thing through and uh, from beginning to end until, until I was, um, well, we watched it this week, and I remember watching it, like, I, there's some parts of this I just don't remember. I don't remember the conductor doing all that stuff. I don't remember that part. <laughs> uh, I do remember watching it, though. In my mind, I, I had watched it, but I just don't, it, and you, you I'm watching it, and you read about how it was made, like it had a special fantastic uh, sound or whatever it was called. The Phantasma. The Phantasma yeah. sound. Which I think is why right, it's called yeah. Fantasia. I could be wrong. So I'm thinking I think this was related. Yeah. So I'm thinking this wasn't intended, because home video or or anything like that was not. It's like, oh, this is a live production. We. T- because they toured this. Yeah, they, they had, toured like, it. Mm-hmm. So this was meant to be like watching a live orchestra play. I mean, that's the intense. Mm-hmm. You watch it. There's no opening credits. It's not like Fantasia. And the way it's set up with all the different segments. Star and centaurs and yeah, it's, it, cartoon I, skeletons. I don't think it was ever... <laughs> skeletons. It wasn't initially... Uh, I don't think it was in, initially conceived to be shown as we see it today. Uh, although I think it works, um, but uh, uh, but the first my first thing I remember is liking the Bald Mountain, how dark it was. It was different than my image of Disney. But now I watch all the Pinocchio and Dumbo, and those are very dark too. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I like them despite their obviously dated things in those movies. I do enjoy Dumbo more so than Pinocchio, but. Um, you know, I think Fantasia as a whole, it's weird to like say, "Oh, I like," because there's, it's there's different segments. It's know? an anthology film, yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, I I like anthology movies because I love variants. Like they rarely ever release them. You know, like in the examples, the Twilight Zone, the movie that came out in the 1980s. You know, it's not oh, a great okay. movie, but there's certain segments in there that I really like, and I like the concept of it. Yeah, this is a much better movie than that for what it's trying to go for, <laughs> yeah. but because uh, there are segments that I respond to more than others, and actually I would say it's it's one of those movies where there's not a lot of consistency with individuals as to which ones they prefer, because there's something for everybody in a in a, in a kind of a unique way. Mm-hmm. Um, like I I love that Night of Bald Mountain sequence too. The same reason Scott just mentioned, just because it was terrifying, and that was the, 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 the demon's name is like Chernobyl, like Chernobyl, or, oh, or it's not Satan because they couldn't use Satan. Well, yeah, for <laughs> 1940, that yeah, that's been uh, too far sacrilege. Uh, but uh, it's Chernobog, I think, is the way it's kind of spelled okay. out. But it's a striking figure, and uh, mm-hmm. I think on the Disney Channel they would play some of these segments in the, independently of the film. Like for Halloween, they would probably yes. play Night of Bald Mountain, just yes. like with yeah. Ichabod, like Sleepy Hollow. I can just remember watching through my fingers that whole sequence until the yeah. Ave Maria part started. Yeah. Oh my god, I would be so scared. I mean, now I can watch it and I'm fine, but yeah. I just have all these memories of like hands covering my eyes and just like peeking out and asking like when is it over i know <laughs> this is a very adult film i mean there's nudity yeah there's yeah. there's, there's yeah. uh death and violence 
just, uh, um, I mean, 1940, they're pretty much saying evolution is real, uh, unequivocally. I don't know if that was controversial or not, but watching it is very clear. I mean, the whole dinosaur segment is pretty much, you know, yeah. uh, the world's not thousands of years old, it's millions of years old. And, uh, you know, <laughs> people struggle with that today, but that, you know, in 1940, they pretty much... Yeah. I was thinking about that watching yeah. it this time. I thought, like, oh, anybody who's like, yeah. nope, no evolution. I should be right. like, really? Do you love Disney? Here, watch yeah. this 10 minutes. <laughs> Maybe you should rethink your craziness. I know, yeah. Not only that, but you go from, like, I wouldn't say it's an atheistic take, but it's a scientific take on the Big Bang. Yeah. Then you go to Greco-Roman mythology. Then you go to Christianity at the end with yeah. the yeah. Night of Mall Mountain. So they cover yeah. like pretty much all the bases like, and yeah. magic. <laughs> I was surprised yeah. that, that I really liked the uh, Greek and Roman mythology segment because in school when we learned about Greek mythology, uh, Antigone, that was like punishment. My theater teacher, if we had got, gotten detention for whatever reason, and she always gave me detention, and I later found out it was because she liked talking to me because we'd basically just talk in detention. I know. But for other people who got detention, who she didn't like, she would make them watch this god-awful version of Antigone. I don't, you know, I'll have to look it up. Maybe we can put it in the liner notes who starred in it. I think it was, um, was done in the 80s, maybe 70s or 80s. It's just unbearable. And because of that, I'm like, this whole Greek, this whole Greek mythology thing, and then you had all that, like, incest and you know um i don't know i just never really took to that as uh, much you know so i was surprised that soap operas yeah. it, it is yeah and then you know i don't know i just never really cared much for that but that's my favorite one of my favorite segments in this was the greek mythology i think it's because the centaurs i like the little centaurs i always loved the greek mythology in in, in general yeah, and I, like the gods like learning about yeah. all those different like Things and well, the gods were one thing. It was the the stories like Oedipus, Antigone. You know these like stories that were categorized in that. I think those are realm. more specifically like Greek theater. Okay, then maybe that's what I don't like Greek theater. Yeah, because that that's the whole, um, yeah, Antigone, Oedipus, and Oedipus that's it? Rex. Mm-hmm. You know that trio mm-hmm. of oh. It will change your life. Oh, oh, I was bored. I was wrong. <laughs> oh boy, you're close. But yeah, the, that like uh, trilogy of like Greek tragedies. I'll, I mean, I remember reading those yes. in me too. High school and college, and like, oh, okay. But Greek mythology, I always thought of separately from those. Me too. Like, yeah, I love the mythology. Like how the gods, like, because pretty much all the. Uh, a lot of language, especially with Latin and Greek, are derivative from the gods. You know, mm-hmm. like Eros and and Zeus. You know, like just just the whole construct of how they had a god for every element in the world. Yes. Like you had a, like uh, Poseidon, you had Zeus, you had Aphrodite. You know, Aphrodite. I always loved that. I just love how each god was assigned mm-hmm. a concept or Hades, or some sort of yeah. element. Yeah, Hades was the underworld. That means yeah, that Mega I Man stand, was Greek. I stand corrected. I guess <laughs> Mega Man what was, I don't uh, like is the Greek tragedy. The Greek tragedy. The Greek literature, like I guess, yeah. is what I'm not a fan well, yeah, of. Yeah, you get all the chorus stuff. Yeah, and... it's just like so dull. Yeah. You do. <laughs> but I do like the Greek gods. Aphrodite is my girl. I like oh. Aphrodite. She's the goddess of love. She is. 
She is. She's born of a headache. Well, a lot of stuff comes <laughs> from, she? obviously, Greek mythology. Oh, wait, no, that's Athena, sorry. The Greeks loved horses, too, by the way, because oh, pretty much every creature is based off a horse in some capacity. I love centaurs. Maybe it's because I'm a Sagittarius. I can relate to being a centaur. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to ask Scott this question on, on another segment, because Scott, as everyone knows, loves dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the Rite of Spring? I, I did like it. It's a slow build. <laughs> I was waiting for the dinosaurs. And I must say that it was pretty, pretty, pretty much spoiled by the uh, narrator. Yeah. You know, yeah, he tells you exactly. He tells you exactly what you're going to see. I mean, he doesn't. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like. <laughs> Like, wait, can I cuss or no? Yeah, you can, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. You like, can. Damn it. Like, why Why are you describing exactly what's going to happen? Where yeah. is the mystery? So I can almost think, like, mm-hmm. that would sort of be why some kids would find it boring. Because it's like, I'm going to tell you what's happening. <laughs> now watch what's happening. Yeah, there's no surprise or shock or anything. It, it's so strange. I mean, let's face it. We all know the outcome of the dinosaurs. <laughs> so we kind of know the ending. But still... Who wants it ruined? I know. He tells you what you're gonna see. You're gonna see this, and you're gonna see this. <laughs> it's like it's like, don't be surprised. Whatever you do, do not be entertained. I, I want Deems Taylor to narrate every movie now, just to see how he would. It's the ultimate spoiler alert in that very you, dry, goofy humor. Do, him doing Jackie. Oh yeah. god. <laughs> well, that's a movie that goes cuts back and forth between time. You're like now, yeah. we are going to see a. Funeral procession followed by, <laughs> and then he'll basically explain all of the the details of the funeral procession. And be like, now let's watch. I, you're going to see Norman Bates murder everybody and then trick everybody into seeing what he's done. You know, let's watch Psycho. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like the ultimate spoiler. Or, or actually, the ultimate spoiler in that case would be like, and please take note that the blood you see in the shower is not real blood; it's actually chocolate syrup. <laughs> Yep. It's to it's to, to cause point fear into you. And I'm thinking like, why did Disney think that was good for him? I think it's almost like they didn't trust the material enough that they had to explain it to the audience. Like they didn't think that the audience would catch up with it yeah. without that narration. Well, did any of you watch the Disney? It was like two or three night documentary that PBS had on. Yeah, I did actually watch. It was and great. How, like this was like his baby, and then when it did not do well, he was crushed. He was. But it's a, it is a hit, like, historically. It's like, if you adjust for inflation, they say it's the 22nd highest grossing film of all time in theaters. Because it's been redone. Which is amazing, considering what the movie is. How popular it's been over time. It, it is. And, and one of the areas where it became very popular was the late 60s. They released it in the late 60s. It became a head movie. Kind of like okay. 2001. Because it's, okay. it's trippy. And so people would drop acid and go watch Fantasia. Right. <laughs> That may have helped with a lot of those dollars over over time, yeah. uh, but it was like one of the. It was like also like two thousand one was another one where people just like you know it was in that ballpark for the kind of what hippies were going to see you know just to trip out mm-hmm. at the movies. I could definitely see that. Yeah, well, going it, back to your point about the dinosaur segment. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I no, mean, no, no. This uh, I, I I I do like it a lot. I, I think it's. It's definitely very dark. I mean, especially when T-Rex kills a Stegosaurus. And mm-hmm. it shows, um, you know, um, I'm sure all those dinosaurs weren't around at the same time. I mean, that's the big myth. It's like these dinosaurs were across millions of years and a lot of them weren't interacting with each other. Yeah. T-Rex was towards a later stage. 
Um, that's why Jurassic Park's funny because none of them, or a lot of those animals aren't during Jurassic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, the um, yeah, I was surprised how dark when I was watching it. Now I was like, man, that Stegosaurus just gets like its neck bitten. They don't show any blood, but it's just like you feel. I mean. It's nature taking its course. If T-Rex comes, he announces his arrival, and then all the animals start running away. I was like, can't you guys just gain up on them? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Get> the guy out. <laughs> He's by himself, just do, do, just like charging at them. You little, have trillions of tons of, 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 of <laughs> animalistic, you know... Yeah, have some more Triceratops come and like, poke him at yeah, the same yeah. time like that the Stegosaurus is going away. And it's like the Stegosaurus is the only one that's man enough to step up and that's the classic stegosaurus mm-hmm. I mean you could you could imagine that it's the same poses that they're doing and like you know they, they pose the skeletons and like the natural history I always man. wondered why the brontosaurus wasn't much more powerful than he really was because they were tall I mean they were big dinosaurs I know they were plant eaters and I think the, they had some small teeth issues which was kind of part of the problem that's probably why they weren't as vicious as they could have been but I mean one of those you know they could have stomped on things yeah right I think they uh, thrown their bodies yeah, yeah. Like, they had like those long you. necks they could have like whipped their head it and, seemed like there was a lack of leadership in dinosaur <laughs> world versus T-Rex yeah, what would they think yeah, yeah if they, if they, they had formed the United Nations <laughs> of dinosaurs I, I think uh, I do think I think they're so big they're like the giraffes you know I guess like, so they don't yeah. get attacked because there's this they're just the hard, you know, a leopard wants to take something like a zebra. It's going to be easier than a giraffe. Even though a giraffe's slow moving, it's going to be hard to take that thing down. I don't know. I mean, T-Rex was really wasn't, probably wasn't thinking. I don't know. Stegosaurus would be the last thing I would mess with, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Anything with horns, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm bowing out. But he was successful, so I can't really say it was a bad choice. He was, like he was, eat, was he eating it? Oh, yeah, they did show it kind of eating he kind of bowed down yeah. before they cut to the disintegration of the entire dinosaur but race. The, the <laughs> so they had to deal and with the one death. through the desert. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think the worst was like the half half eyes open stegosaurus where he's like half dead, half not, and then he's starting to get eaten. It's mm-hmm. very, I mean, it's just, I think it's just the way it's presented is darker than even on the surface. Um, and then you have the death of the dinosaurs where they're just wiped out to extinction through famine and, and the change in the environment, which resonates with a lot of people today. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> probably more so, they had no concept of it back then. But, right. uh, um, actually, I think we found out now it's more an asteroid probably just made it yeah. dinosaurs extinct. But, right. Um, uh, man, it was very dark, but it, long story short, I did enjoy it. Um, I love evolution. I love the idea of it. Um, um, you know, I think it's, it's it's very fascinating. It's always been fascinating to me. Um, and then to have something presented like that in kind of a cool way, you know. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorites. I don't think it has the best music, but it's one of my favorite segments just because of I'm interested in that. And plus, so, it has dinosaurs. But the Rite of Spring is a very classic, classical song. The, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the a be- much better song. Heavy when you consider yeah. it's part of a ballet score. Like yeah. it's a mm-hmm. very heavy yes. piece of music. Yeah. yeah. And I think Stravinsky was the only composer alive when this movie was released in 1940. And initially, yeah. I think he was was saying, "I really." love the fact that Disney put this film together and used my music and then like 10 years later like uh, 
this movie is crap. And Leopold Sapelsky's, as as the conductor did, like it was like excrement or something. It was like almost like oh that. Oh my god! And I was like, holy crap! He just like decimated wow. that segment. I wonder what he thought about. Fantasia 2000 and the Firebird Suite. God, it be... I mean, he was dead by then, yeah, but... Yeah, yeah. He was probably rolling over in his grave again. Oh, man. I think that's kind of a dick move in a way, because it's like praising it and then trashing it ten years later. Yeah. It's almost like... I think there's an, a certain with specific artists, like, they... Uh, they're just looking... It's like P.F. with Travers with the Mary Poppins. It's just like they're looking for reasons not... Like, it's commercial or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Which is difficult, yeah. I think they view themselves as artists, and they probably thought that Disney was well, kind of... And ten years later, would it have been considered a hit at that point? Because I know in 1940 it was considered a flop. It was. So I wonder if it was like him trying to, oh, look, publicity, and then, oh, it failed? Well, forget it. I'm not going to try to build yeah. that up anymore. That might be what. It was like the guard was down. I was like, okay, I can tell you how I really feel about this. And it's, it's <laughs> crap. It and yeah. it's not crap in my eyes. I just think it was a great way to introduce him to people who probably wouldn't have come across Stravinsky. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a great way to get your music out there. Absolutely. Well, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said it. This movie is, for what it is, for just looking at it as an artistic movie, it's a great film. It's just mm. not for everyone. Mm-hmm. No. Not not everyone likes this style of art. Not everybody is a fan of classical music. If you don't like classical music, then you really have a hard time sitting through this movie. You know, it's just not for everyone. That doesn't mean it's bad. No. You know, it just means it's not for everyone. And also, like, not everyone's going to like every single segment equally either. Exactly. You know, people are going to yeah. respond to these segments differently. Yeah. Like, example, I love the opening abstract uh, segment at the very beginning because it's so radically different from anything Disney would normally do. It's mm-hmm. almost like an art film. Oh yeah, I love that part too. I mean, it's just it's the way of like visualizing sound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's pure animation and it's pure music. It's just like pure film almost that way, you know. And I'm not. I kind of the princess movies that Disney normally releases. Are, I'm not really the demographic. I respect them, and there's some of them I like. But that he loves Little Mermaid. Of course, it's my favorite movie ever. Uh, but what I love about Fantasia is it's 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 going completely away, 180 degrees away from that formula. It is trying to do something that you could tell this was a passion project of his. Well, this was also really before that formula too. Snow it White was. had only really been released prior to Fantasia, which yeah. I don't. I don't think he necessarily had the intention of. I could be wrong. Maybe he had the secret diary of all these princess movie ideas. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I don't get the impression that when he made Snow White, he meant he was trying to build this princess legacy. Mm. I just think it was. No. It ha- that happened. Well, it really wasn't like I, I think Snow White came out like in the late 30s and it yeah. wasn't until Cinderella like in 1950 that he yeah. released another one but after, before that it was Pinocchio, Fantasia, yeah. Dumbo and Bambi none of which are mm-hmm. anything like each other in a way but they're also yeah. not in that formula. Well, well starting with Cinderella and I could be wrong maybe Snow White is as well um, but he really he just all he did was really latch on to classic fairy tales and create music to go along with the fairy tale stories, he may have tweaked them slightly, but I know Little Mermaid <laughs> to make slightly. them to make them more you know appeal to make them appeal to children more. Uh, like Little Mermaid is a fairy tale, and of course that does not have the same ending. 
in the Disney version as it does yeah. in the actual Hans you Christian. Blinding yeah. Yeah. foam. Yeah. And Ariel was a murderer and all that. Um, he, her he name did. is Pearl too mm-hmm. in the uh, oh, actual yeah. Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah, Hans Christian Andersen. But anyway, that's really a brilliant concept that he did. Was he took these classic fairy tales, uh, made them his own, mm-hmm. and animated them. Well, wasn't part of his point of Fantasia was to get the music out to the public? Because I thought his whole thing is he wanted to be high art. Yes, he did. Like, I think he wanted to, to, to push animation as far as he could take it, you know. Because I, I, I think it's the same way Jim Henson never thought of puppeteering as a child's thing. He wanted it to be accessible to everybody. Yeah. I think Disney approached animation in that way. And also, like you said, he was so artistically ambitious. He kept wanting to push the envelope as much as he could until barriers came up and he had to backtrack and go back to square one again. But I love just how he would would push that. And I think he did want to bring classical music to the masses because I think he loved it and he wanted... This was a great way to kind of... I'm sure for a lot of people it was their gateway into classical music. I don't think yeah. they would have probably listened to classical had it not been for Fantasia. Well, yeah, because there's so many ballet suites. That's not something... I was just going to say, unless you have studied ballet, where you'd be familiar yeah. and have an appreciation for the music, you or wouldn't if you're a weirdo be listening to child it. who loves Tchaikovsky, like yeah. me, like, yeah. that's not going to be... <laughs> what I, I heard there was some controversy, too, like that he would take... Uh, uh, like the uh, music out of sequence like with the Nutcracker Suite it's like completely out of sequence which mm-hmm. I still think it's brilliantly produced with that that Sugar Plum Fairy sequence I, I just think all of that stuff is so in sync with the music mm-hmm. you know it's one of my favorite segments in like the movie but I think classical classical music purists were kind of upset with how that was handled which yeah. is, and it's, it comes off like stodgy in my opinion when yeah. you start complaining about that stuff Oh, I know those kinds of people. I went to school. With <laughs> I was just going to say, a lot of classical music people are purists in well, that respect. Yeah. And it's interesting because that was one thing, like, when I was going to school for music, is you would have, because I was also going to school with a lot of people who were studying to be music educators, and you would have people, I can remember one guy in particular that I went to school with, he would be like, no, I will teach classical music when I'm a teacher. And they really, well, how are you going to relate to your students if you don't have any concept of newer music or, I mean, not necessarily brand new pop music, but even like doing like show tunes or stand tunes yeah. and things like when it comes to marching band. And he was like, like classic no. standards and he was yeah. all, like, he was really into like Stravinsky and like all of the Russians and everything. And so, and then you would have the people that were like, Oh no, I'm only going to do modern music when I'm a teacher or whatever. So it's interesting because you get those purists and then you also get the people that are like, whatever, that's old. Yeah. I don't need to worry about it. And I feel like, Maybe you should have something a little bit more balanced and yeah. in between. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I can see the I can see the argument from both sides because some of the purists are probably they're coming from a place of respect for the actual piece of music. You know, tearing it apart or yeah. changing the arrangement is offensive or disrespectful. I see that perspective or in it doesn't mean I agree with it, but I can understand where they're coming from with it. And I also understand um 
the side where, you know, hey, art is art, and I'm going to make this my own, and I'm just going to change it a little bit. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm taking away the value. I'm just doing it differently, and I'm making it my own. It's kind of like a cover. Yeah. You know, when you do a cover of someone else's song, it's, yeah. it's and very, very, you know, in that same kind of scale. So I understand both sides of it. You know, the artist who wants to redo it and the original who says, hey, this Yeah, like if you're adapting a book to film or something, Mm -hmm. the people who are like, well, that is not the exact dialogue that Uh was in the book. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, at what point are you allowing that this is a different medium Yes, Mm -hmm. and you need to allow Mm -hmm. some artistic license? Yeah. It's exactly. I see it from, I see where they would be upset and I also see where the other side would say, hey... This is a different thing here. You know, we're doing something else. Yeah, I, I agree with, with, with that, too, in the sense that uh, when people utilize pop songs in a movie, they usually don't utilize the entire pop song. They just mm-hmm. use enough to fit the sequence. And mm-hmm. I think it's a similar concept here, except it goes beyond that, where he is trying to show a, an animated piece which is accompanied by a classical music composition versus... Uh, in, in, in that way, like you know, even though it's out of place, not a sequence, some kid somewhere who had no gateway into classical music, he's not going to be turned on by some sixty-seven-year-old old white guy talking stodgily about the composition. That's true. But if you watch it in Disney and you're watching the, like the Nutcracker se- sequence, and he's turned on by it, he may go out and buy the album where it has the actual sequence as it was mm-hmm. you know, meant by the composer, and he's going to listen to it. And that's the difference. They're two separate pieces of art. Yeah. There's the mm-hmm. the actual, you know, ballet, which you can listen to on a vinyl by the London Symphony Orchestra or whoever happened to record mm-hmm. it. And then you can watch Fantasia, which is his own separate yeah. piece. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. And they're two different things, and they should be treated as such. Sometimes, you know, um, art is such a sensitive thing because it's so yeah. personal. And, you know, you have to remember that people get very uh, defensive and protective over their art, so they don't want to see it changed. And then you have other folks who recognize that, but are excited to do different things. So you know, it's it's that fine. It's a very sensitive line. Yeah. I think the other one that was controversial was I think uh, I think it was the um, pastoral symphony sequence, with which the I record, loved, that which you loved. Yeah. But I think Beethoven purists were upset with mm-hmm. they only took segments again of mm-hmm. that. It just became a trend where people were like... <laughs> I guess part of it, too, is... Well, what, did you want the full two hours to just be two pieces of music? Exactly. Yeah. If you've ever actually gone to the symphony, you could go for three hours and only hear two pieces or three or four pieces. Like, they... I don't know. I guess I like that it gives like a little taste like you said mm-hmm. somebody could go oh yeah. I like this and then go out and buy the record at that mm-hmm. time or yeah. today download it on iTunes or Google Spotify or play, whatever. yeah whatever and so and I like I always liked the pastoral I, when I, I was a great. kid too I like it there was like something that. about the colors it was and so the vibrant yes. yes and 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 the mystical animals the centaurs and the little um, they're kind of like centaurs but they're goats you know what I yeah, mean? They're slightly they different. Are called, I, they're just so cute. They're like little cupids, kind of running yeah. around. And it just was as a child. You know, it was that fantasy. It was, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. The animation in general. And was, it had romance too. Which it I did. Liked. It did. <laughs> yeah. The animation in this movie is superb. 
I think for it's one time, of the uh, most beautiful. I mean, yes, I agree. Yeah. I think in terms of animation, it's one of the most beautiful films ever mm-hmm. made. I mean, it is yeah. such a, 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 a labor of love. You can mm-hmm. tell that from every panel. And it and the animation style changes with slightly with each segment. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, The Night on Bald Mountain is nothing like The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is nothing like The Pastoral Symphony mm-hmm. and nothing like The Nutcracker Suite. They're yeah. all yeah. completely different from one another. And I love that variance, but they're all beautifully animated. Mm-hmm. It's like each one is its own little world. It's almost kind of like you're in a carousel of worlds. And you you're are. entering a new world with a new soundtrack. And then, okay, that's done. On to the next one. And each one has its own style. Yeah. I, 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 think, I, I think that's nice about it. I, I think it's great, especially if you had a DVD version where you could just click to the, the world you wanted to be in. Yeah, that's true. This is a great DVD movie for that reason, like yeah. you said, because you can go to certain segments. If mm-hmm. you're I used to fast forward when I was a little girl. Yeah, I remember yeah. VCR. <laughs> but I would fast forward like the type where you could still see what's on the screen, so that way I knew when to stop. <laughs> I wanted to touch base uh, on a Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence. Like, I'm not a big Mickey Mouse guy, but I love this sequence. Like, uh, I think he's this is one of the best uses of Mickey. Mm-hmm. I love the brooms too. I absolutely yeah. love the brooms. Whoever came up with that concept oh, is. And I love that, like when the bassoon comes in and the the when the mm-hmm. broom like in pieces starts coming back to life, there and the way that it goes back and forth between color and black and white there. Like, it's just so interesting mm-hmm. the way it, I don't know. I, I really loved that juxtaposition and the, like, oh, okay, it's a dead black and white. Oh, now is it starting to come back? We add mm-hmm. the color back in, and then the, you know, the full theme comes back in. But there's something about that little do-do-do-do, and then the pause, and then again. And yeah. that they even thought to animate like and everything lines up so perfectly with the music. I wonder if they were inspired by the Wizard of Oz with that moment there. You have where you have the black and white going into color and you know, you're kinda of entering a new It's possible. It came out a year yeah, after, so that, it's, Yeah, they could have been influenced by a that. A new magical land where where things are not what they seem. Mm-hmm. I wonder, who knows? It's mm-hmm. just a little yeah, that I had just then. It's possible, you know. That, that's definitely a possibility because it came out like a year after. And that was a huge uh, hit. And it was a. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, actually, Wizard of Oz was also influenced by Snow White too, because MGM wanted to capitalize on those Disney dollars because they oh, saw yeah. how much money that made, and that's why the Wizard of Oz came. So it's maybe funny. they were scratching each other's backs. They probably were. Well, the studio <laughs> systems at that point were always like, oh. Paramount's doing this. Uh-huh. Well, then we got to do that. Or yeah. Warner Brothers. Well, yeah. we've got to have our version of they that. They made a musical. We got to make one too. Mm-hmm. What's also interesting on the studios is people think of Disney as its own independent studio, which it is now. But then I think uh, they were distributed by RKO because you see the RKO logo on a lot of these early Disney films. Oh. And Disney was also in debt. He was. Disney was. Yeah. They, I mean, he was like on constantly the shutting <laughs> off operations at like. I was listening to, um, I'm a huge fan of Karina Longworth's podcast, You Must Remember This, and she did an episode of uh, Walt Disney, and it was really interesting, and it was more so about the man and the, the early days of the, the multimedia company that we know today, and she talked about how he was in major debt to almost all of the studios, because he was borrowing money and promising to pay them back with the earnings of movies that flopped, and it wasn't really until Snow White that he... Kind of was like, oh, uh, he had a bone thrown right. to him, kind of, yeah. you know. But yeah, he was uh, really struggled a lot. Well, I think what ended up saving him was the merchandising, 
and the, the because I'm, I know I mentioned it before, but that documentary that PBS did is just really fascinating. Yeah. But I seem to remember, I mean, it's been a little over a year since I watched it, but I seem to remember he was starting to go back into debt from Fantasia because it was a flop at the time. Mm-hmm. And part of what was saving the company from completely going under was all of the sales of the Mickey merchandise. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That's well. That's really the merchandise is kind of, in many ways, it's what's it's a huge. Let me try and get my words right. It is giant for the Disney company. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I, let's just say that that is pr- the merchandising. I wouldn't be shocked if it were eighty percent of the the Disney company's capital in terms of assets and stuff. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, maybe even more than eighty percent. Look at how they put stuff in toy stores uh, months before the movies even come out. You can get paper towels with Mickey Mouse on them. I mean, you name it. Mickey or any of those Disney princesses or anybody could be on it. Yeah. And and bam. I know he was very protective of Mickey as a character, too, because he saw that. Like, I guess he created Mickey uh, after he had had all these failed projects prior to that as an animator. Mm -hmm. And he was on a train. Like, he was at his lowest depth, which seemed to happen a lot with Disney. He was always at a... He started out as a rabbit. Yeah, it was. And it just evolved. He said, that's what saved me. And he became, the way the public latched on to Mickey, he was very protective of keeping Mickey pure. You know, like this pure mm-hmm. comic. He, he wasn't going to get political. He wasn't going to get temperamental. They left Donald for that. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, yeah Donald yeah. was the one that could and go honestly, fight the Nazis. You couldn't even and, understand yeah. him. <laughs> that's probably why the Donald Duck shorts are probably better than the Mickey shorts, just because <laughs> that there's an edge to that, you know? Yeah. But, um, uh, but he was very protective, and that's probably why the company continues to be protective, because Mickey's kind of mm-hmm. like, like Coca-Cola or McDonald's arches. He's like that corporate mm-hmm. logo yes. for them now that Absolutely. they want to keep. Well, yeah, the, the ears are like... It, its own iconography. It is. Is to just, yes. and that's even like if you watch Disney Channel ever, which you probably don't because you're a grown man. Uh, I did. But I, I, well, it just got canceled, but I still watch the only show I watch on Disney Channel is Girl Meets World. And <laughs> it did get canceled. It did get canceled. I was so sad. And so, <laughs> that's like my, my guilty pleasure. <laughs> but, they even do like these kids take like these wand things and draw the the mm-hmm. ears, and that's like they're in between like commercial advertising for themselves. It's like this iconic thing of drawing the Mickey ears. Wow! I mean, he really was a pioneer in branding. Oh, he yeah. was His, that Walt Disney brand. I also see him as an auteur in the way that people look at Hitchcock and Kubrick as like you know the auteur's theory about how the one guy's oh, yeah. vision. I know he's never credited as a director on any of these movies, but I always see them as as a Walt Disney film. You know what I mean? Because even though he might not have been personally animating every frame mm-hmm. or maybe overseeing every frame, it was always his vision. I think they were trying to carry out. Yeah, I think I think so, especially in the early early in days. This era, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. I mean, and he was as much as I think he was a visionary. He was also a tyrant. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was super anti-union and yes. he was like willing to fire people if they didn't do what he wanted them to do and the wasn't pot- always treating his employees the best i heard they had like pot um they had cots like in the factories and things because oftentimes employees would have to stay overnight and oh yeah and- he was a taskmaster yeah. yeah but i think part of that does lead to the singular vision mm-hmm. but uh, 
I don't know. I kind of think that's one of those things that people need to remember about Disney. Is yeah. He wasn't the nicest guy, it's, and he was an anti-Semite, too. Yeah, he was. Well, it, it's very <laughs> similar to, like, modern-day Steve Jobs, where you have yeah. this yeah. this tyrant who's a really difficult person, but they have this incredible vision, mm-hmm. and they know how to brand themselves, and, you know, they just have kind of, like, this huge legacy, and oftentimes people... And I'm not trying to bash Steve Jobs in any way, shape, or form, but oftentimes similar no, to Disney, people forget to they forget to recognize who that person really maybe was because it's so it really I mean all you can focus on is such the is the good that they did, you know all those Disney movies and the way Disney World and Land and all the greatness that they put out there it, it makes the unforgivable forgivable. Well, I, I think the thing to remember is he was both men. Like, he was yeah. everything that... He was an anti-Semite. He was a... Uh, misogynist. Misogynist, you know. And he, he was anti-union. And he was... Uh, I know. He was he was a probably an OCD, obsessive-compulsive, mm-hmm. like, uh, workaholic. But at the same time, he was such a creative force. And so many of his ideas were brilliant mm-hmm. ideas. I mean, the parks... The movies he came up with. I mean, he is a legitimately singular, singular creative genius, and he had a brother that helped him because he had the business side, so he could yeah, be the, Roy, the right? artistic vision, mm-hmm. and his brother could hold the company together. Uh, so it's good to have the him. name of the one guy that also helped him a lot with the animation. Ugh, something. Yeah, it was a part of those nine old men because they had a core group of animators that were like valued beyond Maybe, the others. He was the one. I wish I could remember his name, and I don't even know where to begin to. I know either his first name was Ugg or his last name was like Uggums or something like that. But he was the one that said, you should make Mickey a a mouse instead of a rabbit. Brilliant. (laughs) That changes everything. You know, it it doesn't seem like much of a change, but it is. Yeah. One thing I want to... There's little things that make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. One thing I want to mention, too, in relation to Fantasia is that it like the Looney Tunes kind of parodied Fantasia a lot in the aftermath, like what's yeah. opera doc and stuff. And just as brilliant as this movie, even though they were only five minute shorts, but watching Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd kill the wabbit, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's the influence of this movie. It spawned great parodies mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Though that I was when I was watching the which piece is it? Where it's like the, the hippos dancing and stuff. Oh yeah. the ballet. Yeah. yeah. And the way, well, first of all, the juxtaposition of the, it's such a light piece of music, and then you have these really heavy creatures. Doing ballet. Yeah, yeah doing ballet. strength and, and balance. Yeah, and then you also have, like, the, the alligator crocodiles, and they also are supposed to be menacing, but then they're also doing all these dance moves and things. But, like, that piece of music, if I'm wrong, I thought Warner Brothers used that for some stuff, too. I think they have. And I also have to say that a lot of these compositions, I think, have all been used in commercials from the 80s onward. Cause oh, they, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a, the other influence of this is like uh, people say, hey, we use classical music in Fantasia. Let's use it everywhere. <laughs> I think there was a piece of music I heard. I said, oh, this is in every comedy when they do ballet. Oh, the every Donna. bad comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one that's like, Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that you're absolutely right. That's used in every terrible comedy. Yeah. <laughs> when they're trying to usually do something like ballet. Yeah. Or yeah. 
I want to the touch at least on a little more on Night of Bald Mountain because I think that's my favorite segment in the whole film. I think it's an insanely brilliant piece of animation. I love that figure. I mean, I think the demon in that is one of the most striking animated figures I've ever seen. It just makes an impression on you. You know, it's it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we have to... Scarred as a child. <laughs> yeah. And, well, it, it, but he just manipulates all these demons and changes them and, they, and they, they're shape-shifting. But... I also realized all they're doing is kind of dancing in this mountain. It's not like they're terrorizing anybody else. It looks so really... like an episode of Gargoyles. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that show from the yes. 90s? I'm not, I, I don't do. have that reference point it, as much. Really, but, uh... It looks just like Gargoyles. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh God, my brother loved that show. <laughs> I mean, this is like the opening sequence of Gargoyles. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We, I bet it was influenced by this. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, had, they probably took all those cues I mean, from. Was this to. before Tolkien? Yeah, because Tolkien was like late forties. Here that... you go, Amanda. <sighs> I think Tolkien yeah. was between World War One and World War Two. I could be okay. off base. I'm not a Tolkien expert. Yeah, uh, but there's uh, a guy listening to this right now. I was like, Why are you <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, I know. I'm being, I'm being attacked right now by all the, the Tolkienites. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you knew. T- uh, that's a side note to that. When I went to see the first Lord of the Ring movie, uh, I don't know if we'll ever cover this movie, so I can tell it here since we segued into it. But I was sitting in the theater. It was The Fellowship of the Ring, I think, the first one. And there was a guy behind me who had his copy of the book. Oh, my goodness. In his lap, the entire book, like the novel. And there were these kids in front. This is right before the preview started. They're just talking to each other. And he just kept going, shh, because he was reading the book. What? It was strange. How could he even see so in the dark strange. theater? First of all, this was it was before the lights completely oh, went down. I so I think he was I think he was trying to compare notes there with the book versus the film, and I think the kids are distracting him from his work. See, that's why I say like when people get so obsessed with adaptations. Yeah, I'm weird, and I prefer to see movies first and then read the books. I'm the same way, yeah. Amanda. <gasps> Unless it's something that I happened to read first and then a movie oh came my, out. I've never met anyone else who does that. Everybody else is like, okay, I guess I see your point. But really, this I is honestly do that. And one of my favorite adaptations that I was thinking about earlier was Virgin Suicides. Mm-hmm. Which is a fantastic Sofia Coppola film, and then it was also a book yeah, that was written nice. in the '90s. I think it was '90s that he wrote it. Yeah, but yes, I'm, and I also create like certain soundtracks when I'm reading a novel or really into something. I create like a mood for for that. <laughs> I do things like that. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? I, <laughs> yeah, you. I, you had a moment. I have like a special like study mix depending on like what I'm studying. Yes. And, I have like yeah. a playlist for everything. <laughs> <laughs> they just had a moment here. This is yeah. It's captured on tape. But yeah, that thing where it's like, it's two different visual mediums, or it, just different mediums, which is what is so great about, mm-hmm. I mean, and I know you're wanting to talk about Bald Mountain, but that no. piece of music, and then put with that animation, to me as a kid, just hearing that piece of music, I would instantly think of the animation yes. and get freaked out. Yeah. Like, was that on Halloween compilations before this movie? Well, I don't know if there were Halloween compilations before. Yeah. Probably the 40s. was after after this movie. Yeah, I think it, it. I think this was used. Like, I remember as a kid on watching the Disney Channel in the late '80s, and they would always play on Halloween weekend mm-hmm. or something. They would play the Sleepy Hollow segment from Mister The Adventure of oh. Victim Bob and Mister Toad. Oh yeah. And I think they would play this as well as part of that whole. I, I remember too uh, the Burning Bodies. 
they were like human bodies, but they were on fire, and they were like dancing around. Remember oh, that? And yeah. Then this, yeah. Yeah, there but were. It was like they were in hell. I think mm-hmm. that well, yeah. I think it is hell, is it? <laughs> or it's hell. It, it's hell rising to the yeah. earth or something. Yeah. Well, I'm calling all the spirits and like mm-hmm. Scott said, like the darkness in this. Mm-hmm. That was just watching it again, even in other like other segments. There's just there is it's this darkness that you don't see in modern Disney. No. But, oh no. I mean, I think was still even around in, like, the 80s to the early 90s, though. You still had the darkness, especially in, like, the live-action stuff. Yeah, but I remember Little Mermaid had some dark scenes with Ursula. I yeah, think. Ursula. It got pretty has, dark there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, the skeleton. Yeah, and she I was, mean, like, turning into the ship. Beauty and the Beast is very, there's moments of dark on top of the um, other... Aladdin, I think... Well, I mean, little, uh, Jafar is pretty dark. I Lion mean, King was kind of dark with Mufasa. We've yeah. seen Mufasa yeah. murdered. And, but, like, more yeah. recently, can you think of super dark parts no. of Mm-mm. Disney films like that? No. No, I mean, I think it's been replaced more by Pixar melancholy. That's probably the... Ah. It's not dark, but it's it's the like... Sadness. Yeah, like, you know, it's going to absolutely depress like, you. Toy Story is kind and of you're going to go through example. an existential crisis after watching it. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I, th- I think that's I think that's it, it, it depicts our world because I think in the past our fears are our outside. Now our fears are internal. You know, like yeah, and it's like this sadness and depression. Um, you know, the way we view it in the world, people get like I'm anxious, I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. It's not like I don't fear I'm gonna get shot. I just fear. Uh, well, wait a few my, my, my months. Yeah. <laughs> we mean, might be reversing I, soon. We may go into a new age of Disney yeah. movies. Yeah, no, we won't go any farther into that. You're a fan of Dark Disney. The next four years are going to be great. It's going to be great for art. Dark yeah. America. I talked with my sister, Faith, who's guest on my podcast before, and she's like, you know what Pixar does? They go, what if this had feelings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. Like, it, it's yeah. true. It's like, what if fish had feelings? Mm-hmm. What if... Cars had feelings. What if yes. for Inside Out? What if feelings had feelings? What if yeah. toys yeah. had feelings? Yeah, Toy what if story. toys had feelings? Yeah, and so that's I'd never thought about it that way. Of, yeah. yeah, it's more of the internal anxieties versus yeah. the external. Yeah. Well, they make they make uh, inhuman things human. Mm-hmm. Is what Pixar does. Cars, toys, feelings, bugs. <laughs> Remember Bugs Life? Oh yeah, yeah. Bugs that Life. was the first one I think, or Toy Story I think was before Toy Bugs Story Life. was first, and then I think Bugs, Bugs Life was second. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what they do. They just they humanize objects. And Robert Zemeckis makes humans humans. Those those are the worst animated movies ever. I, I just cannot get into that technology at all. It, it's what's, what's it called? The Uncanny Valley. Uncanny Valley. Yeah, I never it's, saw it. He uh, did like the Polar Express, Polar Express and Jim Carrey's uh, Christmas Carol. I, I saw a Christmas, okay. Jim Carrey's A Christmas Carol in IMAX at Easton when oh, it first no. came wow. out. Too much. And it, I just. There were parts that were really pretty, and then there were other parts where I'm like, this is just disturbing. <laughs> I'm not, and not disturbing in like, oh, it's dark. I mean, it's dark because it's a Christmas carol, yeah. but like, animation jarring you to where it feels unnatural and where it should feel natural. What's also sad is this is a guy that wrote or directed so many great movies that were really funny and sharp, like uh, Back to the Future, Roger Rabbit, and, and even I like Forrest Gump. Forrest, I, I love Forrest Gump. I love those yeah. movies. 
And then he went into this stage, and I, I completely turned off from him. He was probably trying to keep up with the Joneses and just capitalize in on this new wave of animation that happened, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s. He just Pixar. got so into it, though. I know he did. It's just like... Well, that's what... I, well, some people don't know when to stop. No, they don't. <laughs> they, George Lucas. Yeah. It's funny, though. George Lucas... Another one. Another one in that group. Well, it is funny about George Lucas and... Uh, uh, James Cameron and Robert Zemeckis all got in this. They get obsessed with this technology, and their movies are just a vehicle to promote a technology they developed. You know, yeah. Yeah. George Lucas is CGI. Uh, James Cameron is like, you know, Avatar is motion just, capture. I mean, Avatar. The, the story was secondary to. Um, I don't want to do a podcast on Avatar because I think that movie is just. Dumb, well, it's recycled. Yeah. Dances with Wolves, Fern Gully. Yes. I'm prejudiced against blue people, too, by the way. I'm a blue person racist. <laughs> I do not like the design of those characters at all. But yeah. Fern yeah. Gully was great. Well, well Fern Gully was Fern Gully yeah, is when it's Fern originally yeah. Fern Gully, not when yeah. it's... Dances yeah. with Wolves was like, yeah, anymore. He's yeah. like, yeah. What, if, what if we did this together and I put it in 3D? <laughs> what if Dances with Wolves was blue? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's yeah. the biggest mystery in the world is James Cameron has the two highest watched movies of all Titanic I mean the, the I hate to talk about Avatar but I do think it's an interesting and it's, it goes into Disney like, it does Disney, um, because Avatar is now part of at least in the theme parks is part of the Disney oh I didn't know Disneyland that Avatar they are Land. putting an Avatar land in, in the Manimal Kingdom I don't know how I feel about that I still don't know how I feel but about But a movie it. that... The second highest grossing movie of all time adjusted for inflation... No, wait. Avatar is the highest grossing movie of all time if you don't adjust for inflation. But it has had no cultural impact whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not... It, it just... It's... I wouldn't say not so ever, but there's just no... People saw it, and then... There that was it. people that learned Navi, though. Are there? Uh, yeah, I used to work at a bookstore. Okay. And when that movie was out, we were selling all of the art books. And I remember, okay. I mean, there were obsessives. And because I, I worked in the movie department of said bookstore. And uh, I remember a couple people being like, oh my God, I love this so much. I'm learning Navi. And I was just like, it's a spectacle, but it's not an original story. And yeah. why are you? S- I don't know. I guess I can get more into learn Klingon. Like at least that's some valuable <laughs> yeah. art. At least it tri- you know, it's showed sustainable power over the years. You know, yeah, people still learn to it. But I mean, how many times has the Avatar stuff been postponed? Yeah. And that's oh my god. Well, it's like it came out. It became a sensation, and everybody forgot about it two years later. That's it, kind of my impression of it. Where Star Wars is something that sustains. People keep talking about it no matter what. Because it has great characters. It, it does. Has story, you know. Yeah. It has uh, its little niche things that you can latch onto. You know, the language, the the worlds. I never did see Avatar, so I really can't speak. I had absolutely no desire. I saw the preview and I said nope. Well, I mean, there's no. There's n- the villain in Avatar, you never learn anything about him. He's just angry. You don't know his backstory. And, that sounds familiar. Uh, who? Angry? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the angry bad villain. That might over a lot of people's It was an inside joke. Yeah, oh, we're all enjoying it thoroughly. What uh, feelings had feelings. What feelings had feelings. 
But uh, getting back to the, the Fantasia connection with that yeah. too is like you know. Uh, a great villain is that demon because yeah. it makes an impression that doesn't have to do much other than scare you, you know. And the Tyrannosaurus Rex, yes, the ultimate villain. You know, sometimes knowing less about a character actually helps make it memorable too. You know, well, even Zeus, who's just throwing yeah. lightning bolts down at all the creatures. <laughs> the goofiest, happiest That's villain what in the he movie. That's <laughs> his job. Yeah. So did a kind of sum it up for everybody like how does the movie hold up for you having having watched it overall is it does it still hold up for you what's your impression now having revisited it i think it it still holds up i was could did not remember even though i've watched this i don't know in the last few years but like the nudity in the pastoral section yeah. i forgot about that but i think the abstract stuff hits me more now than it used to like I just think that is more interesting but yeah I think it's I to me it still holds up I still really enjoy this movie mm-hmm. I yeah I enjoy it I think um, I watching it I, if I were to watch like one segment at a different time I think I'd even enjoy it more mm-hmm. I mean I like it as a film but I think if you just watch individual yeah. segments and give them like that kind of um, experience just watching one of them I think you didn't I even enjoy it more because it's like one off and you had that little context there um, but it does feel like when you sit down for two hours to watch it it feels like you're watching you know eight consecutive music videos in a row and that, that's kind of hard to do in some ways um, but I think each of them artistically and, and the music every, everything's so high quality that uh, even the ones that you don't like as much, I still think there's a lot of value in them. Um, but I think it would be fun if you threw them in front of, like, Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> just <laughs> to see how people short, would be. Short film. <laughs> right up spring in front of Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> the dinosaurs die. <laughs> but, uh, um, you go into some goofy Hercules-type movie and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's... It, I think it's always going to hold up because it's a it's it's doesn't have it's timeless it's it's it is Fantasia it's always existed it's 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 a artifact a historical uh, piece of art you know it's gonna people are I think people are gonna know of it forever it might not be um, even people that will never see it will know of it you know mm-hmm. you know there will be a lot of still a lot of people that say oh Fantasia that's the Sorcerer's Apprentice and you know, Bald Mountain movie. I've never seen it, but I know of it. So. I had that conversation before I came here. Yeah. I said, oh, I'm going to discuss Fantasia. Oh, I've never seen that, but I've always meant to. That's the one with... Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's always going to have that, I think. So. Yeah. Um, I think for reasons that Scott just said, it is a timeless movie. It's a work of art. Um, it's something that's ingrained in our culture in terms of, you know, cinema. Uh, so for those reasons, I definitely think it's going to live on for generations to come. You know, it's not my favorite Disney movie. I'm really character-driven. Um, I do think the music is beautiful, though, and I do enjoy the arrangements. I like how each piece is its own and tells its own story, and I like that you can come and go and, and revisit these at any time. Uh, like Scott, and, and like I did when I was young, I think it's, it's, it's best digested in small doses, Versus sitting in front of a screen for two hours straight. After about the first 40 minutes, you kind of start doing other things. 
your mind starts wandering, at least mine does, but uh, but that doesn't devalue it in any way, shape, or form. And I think uh, that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just classic. So I think I think it does hold up. I'm pleasantly surprised because I, I had a fear that it, with this one I was going to come in and have to defend the movie. I knew Amanda was like because she had mentioned that before, but I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't really sure about your opinions, but I'm so happy, especially with Tony, that we're in sync with this movie because yeah. I love this movie a lot. And I, I really enjoy it. It's a movie I actually put in occasionally just as background mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. you know, just, just something to distract me because I just, it doesn't have to be something you have to pay attention to that closely mm-hmm. to enjoy it in a way. Yeah. But when I do watch it as a whole, I just I'm blown away by his vision. Like I, it may not be absolutely perfect in every segment, and I may not like every segment equally. But mm-hmm. I just love the overall ambition and creative drive of this project. It just it, it's uh, probably my favorite Disney animated film of all the ones I've seen. It's my favorite. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it belongs on a lot of those lists for one of the greatest American films ever made. Um, you know, like, I'm also, like, character-driven stuff, too. Mm-hmm. I think this feels like pure animation to me. I just like watching these yeah, artists go to work absolutely. and just go, without having any barriers, just go out there, like, the abstractions mm-hmm. that we see yeah. at the beginning. And I did like the music sound, the animation to the sound of music. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I did, too. Yeah. Like, the, the the sound, what did they call it? The soundtrack, you know, yeah. just yeah. becoming uh-huh. an actual... Yeah. That's not what a soundtrack is, but I'll let them know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a question. Is Fantasia 2000 worth seeing? Uh, That's a good segue into the Blu-ray. Because okay. they're both on the Blu-ray. Because it is available, which I think, of course, is the best way outside of a theater to watch yeah. a movie. Um, it's kind of like a watered-down Fantasia to me, in really? my opinion. Like I think it's worth checking out if you're I a fan. I saw it. In the theater when it was out, I loved it. But oh. that's because my all-time favorite classical piece is in T- Fantasia oh, 2000, okay. and I walked down the aisle to it at my wedding. Oh, which is it? Uh. It's uh, Rhapsody in Blue by George Gershwin. I Aww. love that piece of music, and so I remember it was actually a school field trip that we saw Fantasia 2000 Aww. at the IMAX when it was up at uh, Crosswoods instead of like at AMC. It used to be at Margus. And, you know, there was no way to know what songs were going to be on there. And then as soon as that came on, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And I remember all these kids being like, oh, that was boring. And I loved, I loved it. And you decided, but, you remembered it, that you decided to walk down the aisle to it? Well, that was my favorite. That's been my favorite classical piece of music since I was a kid. Oh, okay. uh, I used to put on Gershwin and dance. Around the house. Oh, no, cool. I like a small I just love, I love that because one, so that's uh, I, yeah. Like I would I, put on that piece and American in Paris and interpretive <gasps> dance around my yes. living room. I love Rhapsody in Blue, by the way. Like I absolutely love that piece of music. It's so good. I just love, I love hearing Gershwin. that because I. I mean, I've never been married yet. And, well, I've never been married. <laughs> I've never been married, and I'm not married yet. But for the longest time, I have. There's a certain song that I want to walk down the aisle to too, and it is not the classic wedding song. So to know that someone else has done that, that's so cool. Yeah. And I'm going to revisit Fantasia 2000 now, because now that you have that recommendation, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. I probably didn't watch it. Yeah. I've never seen it. I don't think right all eyes. of them hold up as well, but that one, I think, does, and so does the Firebird Suite, which is the closer. Oh, okay. I'm gonna, I have to check that out now. I'm, I'm curious. Because it's been, like, I, I think, think I saw Fantasia it when it came out. Fantasia 2000 is on Netflix right now. Yeah, it is. And I think, okay, I was going to say, I think I saw it on there. 
the cool thing is you can get both on the same Blu-ray, and I highly recommend buying this on Blu-ray just for Fantasia. I mean, even if you is don't, it on the same disc? On they're the on. I think discs? they're on two discs. I think one okay. is for Fantasia, one is for uh, uh, Fantasia 2000, and it looks pristine. I mean, it, it, this is a visual film anyway, mm-hmm. like, yeah. and the sound and visuals just—they did a great job of presenting it on Blu-ray. You have to see it. If you have a chance to own it, if you love the movie, highly recommended. And they also have these commentaries, at least on Fantasia, where uh, they talk. They have ex- excerpts of Walt talking about the uh, making of the film, like his notes and production Ooh, notes on the commentary. Cool. It's yeah. really something to be to listen to. Well, uh, I want to thank Amanda for appearing on the podcast today. We absolutely loved having you on. Yeah, this thank was you for fantastic. Me. Thank uh, you for coming. Uh, wanted to talk to you about your podcast and like what's coming up with that as well. Yeah, uh, the Oscars are my Super Bowl is my podcast, and this next month is going to focus a lot on Oscar films uh, uh, that are nominated right now, the current Oscar race. And in fact, uh, Tony and Scott will be appearing <laughs> on Jackie in the next uh, few weeks, about mm-hmm. mid February. And you can find it on iTunes, you can find it on, I think we're on Stitcher, and I'm part of the IABD Presents Network, so you can find like past episodes there, and you can search by title, you can search by uh, guest, and things like that, and new episodes come out on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Can our listeners find you online anywhere? Yes. Good question. Yeah. uh, I have a Facebook page. The Oscars are my Super Bowl that you can like there. And we're also on Twitter um, at Oscars letter R, my Super Bowl with no vowels. Great, great. I, I mean, she has, I can vouch that it's an excellent podcast. I've listened to several episodes. (laughs) Very good. Uh, We also have a few events coming up ourselves. Scott, Tony, and I. Uh, a show I directed, The Putz, is coming up at the Cafe Kerouac on mm-hmm. Saturday, February 4th at 8 p.m. It's a comedy show. Scott and Tony are both in the cast. It's along fun. with Actually, some of our previous guests, like Mark Taberzio and uh-huh. Josh Greenwald, are in the cast as well. Oh, cool. So. Yeah. And then uh, tell, Scott, maybe tell the listeners a little bit of what it's about or the putts, what style it is. Anyway. It, it, it's a uh, it's a comedy uh, which is a mixture of improv and scripted comedy, mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh, uh, it's about a doctor who's an idiot played by Scott called Doctor <laughs> Harold Putts <laughs> who gets caught up in uh, a murder scenario. I'll leave it at that <laughs> as, a, as a tidbit. Yeah. And then Scott and I are performing. Off and on as the Wheeler Brothers in various improv shows around town. And uh, Tony? Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's not until the end of March, Saturday, March 25th, at Cafe Kerouac, the same venue where we're doing the putts. Uh, the uh, sketch comedy group that uh, the three of us are a part of is having a their annual spring show, and we're really excited. Uh, the group's name is Idiot Box, and we combine um, mostly sketch comedy, but a lot of the sets are improvised as well. It's like loose sketch. Uh, it's a really neat show. It's very fast-paced. It sort of has kind of like a Saturday Night Live. It's very satirical. Um, really brilliant, unique show. So if, you, if you're not doing anything Saturday, March 25th, no, admission is free. Cafe Kerouac is a great place. They've got wonderful drinks. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd love to meet you and connect with you. So if you'd like to meet us or see us, you can find us around Columbus. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm in also a group called Pocket Lint, um, and we, we're doing a show at Ethel's uh, Bar, which is the Short North Stage in uh, High Street and Fifth Avenue, 
around that corner, and it's the first Friday of each month for every show. Uh, all the proceeds go to a charity, a different charity each month, so um, yeah, if you, if you have a charity that you might want to <laughs> uh, us to help uh, with, uh, just let us know, and I can, I can let uh, Travis, who runs Pocket know, and we can possibly do a show to benefit that charity, so... Um, it's a fun show. Ethel's is great. It's 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 kind of a time warp kind of style bar. Oh, it's fit. I love it. It's like based in the twenties, you know. So Ooh. it's it's really cool. It's very it's film very noir cool. esque. Yeah. That's you know, right. It's like alley. the perfect place for meet cute. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, great bartenders, uh, mm-hmm. good drinks. Uh, we do long form improv, and there's always a guest with us. So and then the stand up show follows. So you can have a night of comedy and uh, the the north side of the short north so uh yeah just come on out yeah and also you know find us cinema wheeler tay on facebook or twitter because we're always out and about like mm-hmm. us and also mm-hmm. give us a five star rating mm-hmm. i asked we're asking for five star ratings exactly <laughs> write a review yeah. of it if you have a yeah. chance um and thank you very much everybody and we'll see you next time yeah. bye take care And then, several hundred million years ago, nature went off on another tack and produced the dinosaurs. Now, the name dinosaur comes from two Greek words, meaning terrible lizard, and they certainly were all of that. <laughs>